my name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen If you enjoy this podcast or podcast in general and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today again with Pip Mackay. Welcome. Thanks, Karen. Lovely to be here again. Yeah, we're actually on the road, so it's exciting these days. You can just stop and do your technology stuff anywhere. This is very exciting. It's a great thing to do, isn't it? I actually love it, recording when I'm away or holding podcasts when I'm away because it's just a different vibe and you think about different things. Absolutely. It is quite different. (laughs) So we were going to talk today, last time we spoke, we talked about the possibility of having another conversation and I want to talk to you. Having come out of this year for myself with going through separation and all the other stuff that comes out of it. And I know that it can be very difficult to, or or, it can be very easy to criticize ourselves and to fall into, oh my God, I did this wrong. I'm a failure. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm all this. And so what we wanted to talk about today is basically self-love or as I was giggling about before we started, even liking yourself just a little bit, forgiving yourself and all the rest of it. Yeah, just being friends, friends. just being friends to start with. <laughs> so let's talk about that because this is something that's dear to your heart, isn't it? You are really hot on this topic of self-love and self-worth and self-value. Yes, exactly. Really, I think it's core. If we're going to um, make change, we have to at least want to make change. And usually that means we want to improve our life in some way. And you need to have some form of self-regard to want to be able to do that. So yes, I think self-love or self-respect really is the cornerstone of, of all beginnings of change. And even wanting to become aware of our thinking so that we can improve our life in some way. I think it all really just starts with self-love. It's really interesting you say that because one of the things that's gone on for me recently is that I've gone into the space of, but how I didn't see that before, this particular, how negatively impactful this particular kind of behavior was. And I've done a lot of self-flagellation about (laughs) putting up with that and not seeing it before it's an interesting time and and how do we deal with that and forgive ourselves and like ourselves again yeah I think a lot for a lot of um, women they've been brought up for decades to have this concept that other people's needs are more important than their own and so that means they're not often aware of how someone else's behavior is making them feel because they're thinking about, oh, what's going on with that person that they would say that or be like that? What's happening for them? And then trying to work out what they might be able to say or do that will influence the other person rather than just going, actually, I've got an emotion here and the emotion is telling me something really important 
about how I'm responding and how I feel in this person's presence. And instead of dismissing that emotion and switching the tables around and thinking about the other person, I need to think about, is this what I want? Is this healthy for me? Is this something that is where I want my future to lie? And those questions really require a complete turnaround and for us to really look at ourselves and value ourselves. So this is why people often don't realise that. They're so caught up in trying to analyse why is the other person doing what they're doing that they don't analyse why am I staying and putting up with this behaviour. And that's really the first step is to look at that. And the problem is that when we're outside of ourselves and we're thinking about the other person, we're not aware of pain. And the moment we switch around and go, why am I still here? What's going on for me? We become really aware of our pain and that's very uncomfortable. And so we have to be able to make friends with that first, with our own pain first, before we're making that adjustment and thinking about our feelings and what our rights are and what is respect? What does it mean to be respected as a human being? And so we'll hit a pain barrier first. And what happens for a lot of people is when they feel that pain, they just want to deflect back and think about someone else or get busy helping people or get busy on social media or get busy doing something at work instead of sitting with the pain and going, that's valid. And why do I feel it? Is it actually about this situation I'm seeing right now or is it reminding me of something in the past that isn't healed and I need to take some time out to see which one it is and it could be a bit of both and then start to go on a journey of healing that for ourselves and really in a way I know that forgiveness is a really big topic that many people think about but for me personally I think it's more about understanding where our behavior has come from and when we understand that which is often from childhood we can have compassion for our inner child and then we don't need to forgive anything because we're like when you first came across that behavior and developed that pattern in your psyche you're only six or seven or eight years old would you think of forgiving a child if they couldn't handle a situation no you wouldn't. You would think of understanding them, having compassion and seeing if you can help them overcome whatever their problem is. And that's the approach that I like to think of because forgiveness can have a whole lot of concepts that you've done something wrong that you need to forgive yourself for. And maybe you haven't. Maybe you were doing your best in a very difficult situation. Maybe someone was an incredible game player and they were manipulating you and you're a good person and so you don't think of them in that way because you would never do that to someone. Maybe there's nothing to forgive. And I think that's often a a good and important stepping point. And the other part of that too, which is part of self-love, is I watch people jumping to forgive someone else. And when they've forgiven that person, then they feel like, then I should stay. If I've forgiven the person, then I should stay. And that can keep people in a relationship longer than they should. Sometimes we need to not forgive we need to resolve and change instead. And I see that as the priority for women. I think the first thing that I want to talk about with regards to this is that it's okay to feel things because I have it 
that it's not okay for me to be upset about my marriage ending. It's not okay for me to be sad. It's not okay for me to... One of the things that confuses me and that kind of knocks me sideways is that I feel like I'm taking responsibility, but there's not a lot of responsibility elsewhere. And that kind of leaves me, oh, look, I've got a lot of resentment and a lot of not necessarily, here you go. The resentment is not towards my husband. The resentment is towards myself for not being good enough, putting up with things for too long, not being strong enough to, not drawing enough boundaries, not standing up for myself, whatever it is. And all of that stuff, but I notice as we're talking that it's all directed at me. <laughs> it's not necessarily directed yeah. outwards. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. And look, I understand. In a way, it's the shadow side of personal development, which has become the way people experience life. Like On the one hand, we want to be a cause for who we are. We want to understand that we have our own feelings and we're responsible for our feelings. We're not responsible for him. We're not responsible for what he did, but we are responsible for our feelings. But that doesn't mean our feelings are our fault. And there's a a fine line between those two things. But in a way, the resentment to oneself is exactly the same problem that caused one to put up with the behavior for too long. It's that thing that women have, and we understand why, but that thing that women have that they're never allowed to project outwards. Everything has to be internal and projected to the self. And how can you create a boundary unless there's a projection of energy out? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be angry at them in front of them or in front of your children, but it does mean that there needs to be a safe space where you are allowed to be angry at them, even if that space is a private space with a coach or with a counsellor or whatever, because getting feelings out of your body allows you to examine them. But it's also what people don't understand is that anger is just telling you that your boundaries were intruded upon over and over again until your self-esteem rank. And when your self-esteem shrinks and someone's still taking advantage, not listening to you, not taking any notice of your feelings, not respecting who you are, all of those things, that starts to eat away at your self-esteem. Now, then what happens is your body produces anger, resentment, fury, which women traditionally have not been allowed to have those emotions. So they don't allow themselves to have those emotions. They turn the anger in on themselves and that just shrinks their self-esteem even more. And then they feel even more angry because that's all anger is. Anger is just telling you've been treated unjustly according to your own perceptions and someone has intruded on your boundaries of what self-respect and of what love and treatment should be according to your values. So the moment you feel anger, that's what's going on. So we want to be able to use our anger to put our boundaries back in place, to go, it is okay for me to feel angry because that treatment wasn't good enough for me. And 
with that feeling, you start to get a sense of, and I will not let that happen again. Whereas if we keep turning the anger and resentment back onto ourselves, where is the identity that says, I shouldn't be treated like that? Now we're doing it to ourselves. It's bad enough that someone outside did it to us, but now we're doing it to ourselves. But we do it to ourselves because it's our attempt to gain control. Like the anger is feels so out of control. You don't want to hurt anyone. You don't want to hurt your children. You don't want to hurt people's reputation. So you don't want to explode outwards. And then its only avenue is inward. But in coaching, what we would do in a situation like that is we would imagine that the person is there and everything you want to say, reasonable, unreasonable, fair, unfair, doesn't matter, gets to be said so that you have a voice. And it is only with that voice that you get empowerment. And then a whole lot of other behaviours that people use to self-pacify aren't there because we have a voice. And I think that's very topical for right now, not just for women, but, you know, also for Aboriginal people as well. To have a voice and to feel like your voice is listened to is absolutely primary for self-esteem and self-identity. And when we don't have that and we self-pacify with, I don't know, drinking, smoking, social media, technology, whatever, workaholic behaviour, we never get to the core and the core is it's a human right, a human right to have a voice and to be able to express how you feel. Yeah, it's interesting that you're saying that because I think that's a complaint that I've heard certainly this year as I've shared a little bit about what's going on is that we're not allowed to express ourselves. Therefore, we never have the experience of being heard. We're not heard. And for me, that's been one of the most isolating factors over the year is it's not okay for me to express any upset, any large emotion, like happy or sad, negative or positive, no large emotion is allowed to be expressed. It's just inappropriate. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that is a failure of our culture. I really do. A failure of our culture and of our society because traditionally, archetypally, emotions are feminine. Feminine, like sleep is feminine. So emotions and sleep, because they're associated with water symbolically, is feminine. And it's almost as if, as we start to gain greater quality between the sexes, but we're not still not allowed to express the feminine, which is emotion. And without that, you are always isolated. In fact, without it, you are in a competitive environment, which is what men traditionally were with each other. Their conversations were competitive. And what I mean by that is say someone complained about something, their male counterpart would offer advice. And that advice would put you in status level below the advisor. Now the advisor has the higher status and is in control. Now, traditionally women haven't done that. What a woman would do in intimate conversation is one woman would express her emotions and what she's feeling and the other woman would use empathy and then an experience that she's felt that is similar. 
you would express your anger or resentment and the woman would say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I felt that way too. And I had X, Y, Z. No status trumping, but a meeting of intimacy and a community so that you don't feel alone in your emotion. And unfortunately, in personal development, with all the wonderful things that personal development has offered us, because personal development traditionally has been very male-dominated, there's been this whole idea about don't tell your story, don't have your emotions listened to, just change it, just switch your focus to something else. And it's, hang on a minute, what happened to what women traditionally did with each other? And let's face it, women have been far better with mental health and particularly emotional health than traditionally men have been. Traditionally, men have been the ones who are more likely to commit suicide than women. Why? Because men traditionally have not been allowed to talk about their emotions and that has isolated them. And then they want to do something about it to stop the pain. And that's the solution they go down. And I think it's a travesty that women are doing the same thing when this is a hugely important and valuable tool that women had to go inside you and how you're feeling and think about when have I felt that way? I can relate to what you're feeling. Let's talk about that. And one of the interesting things is there's a, a book out at the moment which is called What Happened to You and it's by a doctor whose speciality for years and years has been in trauma and he has been uh, in the forefront of trauma research for decades and he's written a book with Oprah Winfrey and he calls that dosing. So when we look at trauma, having some control over expressing your feelings and then having somebody else then take the focus. So it's not just all on you the whole time, but the other person then takes the focus and explores so your nervous system can calm. And with the two of you together, because human beings are a pack herd animal, so they feel better in community when they feel like they belong, that calms your nervous system down. And they call it in trauma research dosing. And this is what women have been doing with each other for thousands of years and suddenly in our modern world when we need it so much when there's so much going on that that hypes our nervous system suddenly women are denying it to each other and that is separating us and taking away one of our greatest forms of power it's interesting you're saying that because when I moved to my new place earlier this year I moved with my youngest daughter and most it's a different experience because I go for a walk or I go to the gym late afternoons and I come home and then we have dinner I walk in to a house that's relaxed she's put on some usually fantasy music ambient stuff on the telly the candles are going it's <laughs> clean and tidy and it's a completely different experience to that I've ever had in my life I'll be perfectly honest and I got the uh, the other day it's because she understands what's important to me and what's going to make me feel happy yeah. so I as a mother 
Yes. I'll go out and buy the kids what I know is important, but I've not had that done for me in this kind of scenario until now. And I didn't realise yeah. how much of a difference it makes to have somebody, and it was, yes. it's a woman, obviously, to have somebody go, oh, this is important to you. Here you go. I'll do that to you because it'll make you feel better. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's in many ways, it's so simple, isn't it? One of the interesting things about Mm. our nervous system is that when we're stressed, being right becomes really important to us being right, um, because it gives us a sense of control. And when we're stressed, basically, what's happening is we're moving further and further out of control. So having somebody who says to you without even asking you what you need is right and it's so right that I'm going to make it a norm for you that just has a really calming effect on your nervous system and I think this is one of the problems is that people are so stressed and they don't even know that they're stressed And so they're desperately trying to get their own needs met and wanting the other person to fill their needs. And the reverse is happening exactly the same. And the more stressed we get, the stronger our need to be right, the stronger we need our needs to be met. And if what makes you happy is vastly different from what makes your partner happy, then it's going to cause a huge amount of conflict. And traditionally, women subjugated what was right for them to what was right for their partner in the 50s and things like that. It was all about the woman mind-reading what the man would need when he came home and providing that. But in actual fact, it's a human need. And it was only in the 50s that became, not only in the 50s, but in the 50s that became what a woman's identity was. So I think there's two major things. One of the other things that happens with stress is stress takes away self-awareness. So the more stressed we are, the less self-aware we are. And the more stressed we are, the more right we need to be. So in our world where it's a constant stressor, if you have your phone on, you're being dinged with notifications all the time. Now, your mind might be fine with that, but your nervous system isn't. And so people's stress levels are far higher than what they expect and and their breathing is more shallow and they're hunched over so they're not getting enough oxygen into their body. So all of these things is making people really stressed and then they get together and they have different values. If one person's always making allowances and the other person makes none, then it's just an explosive combination. It's interesting, isn't it, because I've realised that during our relationship and we adored each other, don't get me wrong. That was the issue because I got that John absolutely adored me. But he would do things for me like take me out for dinner, which isn't something that I necessarily wanted. He was doing what he would like if he was in the if he was feeling upset yeah. about something, he'd want to go out for a meal. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. And so I just went along with yeah. it. But I got more stressed by having to get up dressed and go out for dinner and and when I just wanted to 
sit in the bath and not think about anybody or do whatever else. So there was that as well that I think I found it difficult to say to him, this isn't the right thing to do because I don't know that he actually listened or understood that. I don't think he actually ever took it on board. Yeah, and I think this is the difficult thing because testosterone as a hormone makes men less aware of other people's emotions. That's what testosterone does. Estrogen as a hormone makes you hyper aware of nonverbal cues because that's what a mother needs with a baby before they're verbal. So there is a complete hormonal difference and this is also why men often become become more calm as they get older and their testosterone decreases but of course by that time they can have a habit of the way that they're behaving but so what (laughs) happens is women then don't tell a man what they want and the man doesn't have any way of picking that up intuitively because they don't have the same intuitive capacity. I'm not saying they can't develop it. I'm just saying they generally don't and they don't have a society that encourages it either. And so you've got a woman not communicating what she wants and you've got a man who doesn't know how to pick it up. So that puts a man, even a good man, or even a man who wants to, in a very difficult position because he doesn't know what to do and he thinks he's doing the right thing and if asked he would be going but why didn't someone just tell me but for many women they associate love with someone doing something without having to be told because they think if they tell someone something that oh now you're just doing it because I told you to not because that's what you feel like and they don't understand that the man is actually really confused and just doesn't know so it's a little bit like asking someone to do long division when they don't know how to add up so this is a a place where yes men need to understand more about listening and learn listening skills because often they have to learn those listening skills mechanically as in wait this length of time (laughs) or you know repeat back to the person what they've just said Um, you know those those sort of mechanical that they actually need to learn it like a skill now some women need to learn it like a skill as well but many women they don't need to it's just natural to them and women need to be learning how to speak up and they need to learn when to speak up as well so In one of the tools that we use in personal development is NLP. I've created all my own tools for emotional um, change and emotional development. But in NLP, they basically talk about building rapport. So before you broach a subject like, I don't want to go out for dinner, and yet for years he's been taking you out to dinner thinking that he's doing the right thing. So that could be a place of conflict. And particularly if it comes up when you're stressed and when he's stressed, then listening doesn't happen in stress. It's about finding a time where you can sit down on the couch together, mirror body language, and then broach a subject and bring that subject up. And of course, the person may not listen. What women tend to do is do a lot of all or nothing behavior. Men do it too. And that is where there's nothing, just nonverbal cues and your own emotional anger 
and an expectation that when your anger gets high enough, the man will just pick it up. And when they don't, and after a long period of time, then there's finally an explosion. And as far as the man is concerned, he doesn't know where that happened, so it came from. So, for instance, my husband, in his first marriage, his wife left him and he had no clue. I'm talking about absolutely no clue why. So the relationship went into silence, no conversation, no talking at all. Uh, I call that going to the either end of the boxing ring, (laughs) the silent boxing ring of resentment. And then one day when the kids turned a specific age, she basically just got up and left. And he was just left absolutely floundering, had no idea. Now, being married to my husband, I know why she left. (laughs) I know what he's done. I know what he's done. But he said to me at the beginning of our relationship, I do not want that to happen again. So if there's something that is really bothering you, I really want us to talk about it and find a way. And he said, look, I know. He's a 60-year-old man. He said, I know I don't have very many skills in this area. I know you might have to repeat yourself over and over again to get through to me, but please do that (laughs) and I will do my best to listen. And I really give him his due because he has learned how to do that. And once he learned it, even though it was, I'm very fast and he's very slow. (laughs) So that was a lot for me. But once he got it, he's got it. And then it doesn't happen anymore. And it's done. But we talk about this in horse whispering because in a lot of our retreat programs, we do horse whispering. And horses with each other, they will never do nothing but emotion and then explode. So when a horse does explosive behaviour, they've done phases. So we call it in horse whispering, your energy, your anger inside, we call that energy. And horses know that energy too. Most horses will pick it up. But if a horse is being clueless, like a teenage horse is being clueless, then the mare usually, but any other horse, will then go to hair, which is where they'll pretend to bite the other horse and not actually bite them. And if that doesn't work, it then goes to skin where they'll pretend to bite and touch the other horse on the skin. And then it will go to muscle. That's where they will have bitten and left a bite mark in the muscle. And then it will go to bone, which is where they've kicked and could break another horse's bone. So it's got to be pretty bad for a horse to get to that level. But as human beings, we don't do these phases. And so we're doing energy and then we're doing bone, do you know, where something is irreparable. So that's something we need to do. And I think this comes down to self-love. This is where if we loved ourselves more, we would say something earlier. We would say something at the beginning. But when we don't love and respect ourselves enough, this is when we go, oh, it doesn't matter. The other person's stressed or upset, so I won't bother. I won't bring it up. It's going to take too much energy to get that person to listen, so I won't bother. And then it gets to a place where it's irreparable, where the relationship is broken, like a bone would be broken. So that's something that we need to work on for us as women. 
And I know as women, we can feel like we have so much to work on and I totally get that men need to work on stuff too. And that is so true and so important. But we do need to use some phases and we do need to escalate that those phases. But we also need to back off. So that's another thing too. If a horse has responded to energy or hair for us, would be speaking, then we need to back off. And that's something I watch in myself with my partner. I want to get it sorted today so I don't have to deal with it tomorrow. So I'll broach the subject and then I'll keep going and keep going, you know. And he's got like, enough already, give me a moment to process that. And that's a piece of self-control I'm currently working on where I'll say it and see if he can respond to that. And it's, I call it dog training as well, horse whispering or dog training. <laughs> if you're always forcing the dog's bottom down to make it sit, they'll need stronger and stronger force to sit. But if they sit when you say sit, can they sit if you go? Can they sit if you go? And so taking pressure off rather than putting pressure on when you see some response towards you is also another really important aspect for us. It's very difficult though, and I'm going to talk from personal experience here, because we, if we have that self-regard and we want to put that in place, it's very difficult to put a boundary in place. Sorry, the fan's on and it's blowing my hair across my face and into my mouth, so I'll keep the spicy keep doing this. <laughs> it can be very difficult to put a boundary in place when that boundary is then dismissed or just ugh, talking yes, nonsense, ugh, you get that kind of response. How do you deal with that? Because that's Absolutely. just a complete, I know that if I wanted to express any kind of emotion or look, it doesn't work when this happens, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> There's yeah. a whole phase that I identified, but one of the things was, oh, look, we'll talk about it another time. I'm too busy now. And then when you bring up the topic again, yeah. it's, now we've sorted that out and it's there's that kind of... Yeah, exactly. The, the, um, you know, you, I'm left with a feeling of being invalidated, constantly invalidated. Absolutely. And that it was not okay. How I felt was wrong and not okay and I needed to just let go of it and get on with life. Like you say, the, the very male personal development stuff, just change the pattern and get move on. Yeah. Hang on. I'm over here in my emotions. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I, so, no, what I do you do in that kind of scenario? That I think the the two approaches that I would use in that kind of scenario is to keep putting pressure on. Now, if you're in a domestic violence situation, then of course you can't do that. You've got, just got to get out. <laughs> but if you're in a normal relationship where the man is just not listening then you have to escalate pressure so it's about pushing more right then there's no I need to talk about it now and the person's no and they're withdrawing whatever and you just keep at it and then if you feel like you're absolutely getting nowhere you need to withdraw completely and focus on yourself. Stop doing 
anything for the other person. It, it yeah, that's the hard thing, isn't it? Stop doing anything. That's the hardest thing. And that's the big thing that women need to understand. So I talk about it as a tree metaphor. So what? imagine there's two trees and there's two branches that come out. And the man walks at the beginning of the relationship, the man walks across the branch to here and the woman walks across the branch to here. And the relationship happens between the two branches. Then what happens is generally the man will feel that presence of the woman and then he'll start to withdraw because he thinks now it's time to get on with all the stuff that he wasn't doing whilst he was paying attention to the woman. So that's basically what happens. And this could be the same in gay relationships. And we're talking about men and women because you're talking about your relationship. So, But it could be in any relationship. So the man withdraws and the woman makes the mistake of chasing. So she chases over here and now she is in his tree. All the things that she developed, her friendships, her hobbies, her things that made her happy, her time with her family, her birth family, all of this stuff she neglects now and she's over in his tree trying to understand what's going on for him, why he's behaving the way he is, why he's withdrawn and what she can do differently to get him to come back because she's hoping that whilst she's in his tree, he will come back and then she can go and do the stuff in her tree. But now she's in his tree, her tree starts dying. And what I mean by that is her self-esteem, her self-identity, her concept of herself as a separate human being starts to die as the tree gets no attention. It's like the soul of the tree has gone over and living here. And he feels crowded and so he goes off onto his tree of work, friendship, affairs, whatever, (laughs) and then she's sitting in a tree that's not hers and so she feels empty and lonely. And then she goes, oh, I suppose I better go and see what's happening in my tree and her tree's dying. This is very painful over here. She might have lost some friendships. There might be people she rings and they go, oh, now you want to talk to me, like whatever. But she also feels empty. Her tree feels empty. Her life without the man feels empty. So it's so common that women do this and often it's because there's something in our tree that we're running away from. And so it's actually easier to go and spend our time in this tree. So what we could have run away from is what we wanted to do with our career, what we wanted to do with our lives, what business plans we wanted to create, just ideas of what who we thought we might be. And then we can think it's too late or it could be stuff from our childhood, how our mum was treated, how our dad was treated, how our siblings treated us or old woundings and pain because This, the reason we come over here is because the relationship symbolises all of our past experiences with love and very few people are truly whole and unwounded about love from their family of origin, very few people, whether it's their family itself or whether it was friends of the family or abuse or things that happened to them. So the moment they see that person coming towards them and the love there, they want to just go and live in someone else's tree. We can't do that. 
we have to face the stuff that's making us escape from our own life. We have to face that and we have to heal whatever it was in the past that caused us to so willingly sacrifice our tree. So in trauma, there's a, a form of attachment disorder that happens. And what happens is you feel that you independently have to get all your needs met by yourself because other people are dangerous and they don't love the way we expect them to. They don't behave in the way that they should. They're unpredictable. We can't control them. So I have to be completely independent. But the problem with being completely independent is it builds up an emptiness inside and a desperation inside for love. This is what I experienced. And I needed to heal this in order to find the right person for me. And so the moment someone comes along, because the emotions are desperate for love, desperate for connection because it's a human need and it's being neglected, we just jump on that love and we want to hold on to it. And that's why we go over there. <laughs> and it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> it doesn't solve the problem and we make the other person's life. So we have codependence and then we have independence. When we're in a relationship, we're codependent. When we're out of a relationship, we're independent and we do this and we don't understand how to create interdependent relationships. We just seesaw. When we're in a relationship, we neglect ourselves, our career, everything. When we're out of a relationship, we do beautifully with that, but we don't have anyone to share our life with and we're lonely. But an independent person doesn't want to ever admit that they're lonely. So that's even a word they don't even allow themselves to be aware of. So they don't get into a relationship until their entire nervous system, their whole body is desperate for connection. So this is one of the big problems that we have and it is only solved by coming over into our tree and healing the things that caused our woundings to do with love and becoming whole. And then when we become whole, it's the boundary isn't a boundary like this. The boundary is just, and I'd be okay without you. So if you don't want to listen to me, I'm perfectly fine to go and do my own thing, withdraw my time and attention because I'm happy with my life and I'm happy inside myself. So if you need some time to think about the fact that was bad behaviour, I'm going to, one, tell you it's bad behaviour. I'm going to put pressure on. I'm going to let you know that is not acceptable. And then I'm going to go. <laughs> and then you can process that. And then I'm going to come back. And you're not off the hook. I'm going to talk about it again. <laughs> Until... You either can process this and process it. This is so important to me that this is affecting and wounding our relationship and we know where that will lead. Do we want that or can we work together on this? Now, of course, Gottman talks about that there's only 33% of things in a relationship that will change and 67% of things won't change no matter what you do. So you've got to pick what it is that's really important to you to push for that change. That was hard for me to understand because I got into a relationship. My, with Will, I was like, when I'm 58 now, so 50, I got into my relationship with him at 50. So this was all new for me. 
And because he's very slow and needs time to process, I was like at him. I didn't know how to withdraw and give him space to process. So that was quite a difficult thing. And the reason why I didn't know how to withdraw was because I was like, finally, I found him. (laughs) Finally, I found a man who can handle me. And generally does it great. Now I want everything to be perfect. So I was like onto absolutely everything in that all or nothing way. So I had to learn this flexibility in my nervous system too to put pressure on and then to go, I'll give you some time to think about that. I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z and just to go and then say we can talk about when we get back and then come back. And he was really good because he'd seen He had the evidence of what happens if you don't. He already knew. So even though it was really hard for him, he was willing to do it. And some men aren't going to be. That's, I think for me anyway, that would be the best approach. It's an approach that says, I'm serious about this, but it's an approach that says, but I understand that you think differently from me and you need time by yourself to process because Will can't process whilst I'm there. He can only process when I'm not there. So that's what I had to learn inside my own nervous system. I don't know whether that is helpful or not. It might not have been in your situation. But in your situation, he might, it might have made no difference what you did. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, because I was going to ask you, how important is it to know what your core values are in all this? Because for me personally, I've known for a long time that two of my highest core values are respect and responsibility. But I didn't see for a very long time that both of those things were being broken on a daily basis by several close family members towards me. And it's only as I took myself out of a few situations, I'm not just talking about with my husband here, and just went, whoa, hang on a minute. They're actually, that's actually, I'm allowing them to break two of my core values and pretend that I'm okay with it (laughs) and that was a real shock yeah and I think this is I I've had that people pleaser as well in me where you just you don't tell someone something that you think would be upsetting to them or offensive to them because you don't want to hurt their feelings like they've hurt yours do you know what I mean because part of it is I don't want to be a hypocrite if I say this I'll hurt them and I'm saying I don't want to be hurt you know all of that sort of stuff and this is with the people pleaser what happens is we go my need to belong and my need to for love is more important than my sense of self and my self-love my need for you to be okay with me is more important and my fear of putting the relationship at risk is more important than me being heard, me being respected, those things. So the key I find with those situations and for me with the people pleaser was to clear where that came from. Where did that come from? Because that has come from somewhere. Usually the people pleaser is really young. It is much more common in women than it is in men. We're trained to do that and working out who that training came from, where that influence is. And training doesn't have to be someone told you. Training can just be you as a young child observing what someone important to you is doing, like your mother or your father. 
So we need to look at how we can disentangle that influence and go, actually, who I am is more important to me. And if the relationship is at risk by who I am, then so be it. And that takes a lot of internal development for ourselves. That takes a lot of healing. That takes a lot of behavioural change. And it takes a lot of courage. But what I found for myself is, one, it's the world's best filter system because those people who can't handle that shouldn't be your friends anyway, one. And two, often they won't risk the relationship. So often they start to adjust because they know that you're serious and that you don't need them. And this doesn't mean that we're unreasonable or that we're harsh or that we're angry or whatever. It's just that really deep sense of self, of personal identity deep inside. But it does take a lot of work, that one, because there's so many angles to it. One of the problems for children is people don't realise that being loved for a child means surviving. If you're not loved enough to belong within the family, you can't look after yourself. So it's very deep instinctually to do what you need to do to belong because your very survival as a child depended on it. And sometimes there's a part of our psyche which is stuck back at four or back at five or six or seven. And part of our subconscious mind doesn't realise, actually, I'm an adult now and I can survive perfectly fine without that person in my life. So now we need to rub up against each other and just see where are the tolerances and where are not. But if I'm all the way over here and this person's coming over here, then they're going to keep coming. So one of the things we know about narcissistic and sociopathic people is that getting attention from you, pushing your boundaries gives them attention. So that's called narcissistic supply. So they get attention, they get a a thrill from that and you are supplying them with that thrill. So if you withdraw and you don't have a boundary, they need to push you harder to get the same thrill that they got. So for a people pleaser, just saying, actually, no, I'm not interested in coming with you today, gives us a, a thrill. Like it gives us an energy. Oh my God, I'm rejecting the person. How will they take that? But a narcissistic person is used to pushing your boundaries. And if you never have any, they're not getting that same thrill. So they have to push you further and harder. So it means because it's addictive, because the narcissist and the sociopath are addicted to the adrenaline of pushing people and seeing how they behave, they will disrespect you more and more. And this is why narcissistic and sociopathic relationships will start at get rid of your friends. They don't say that, but that's the manipulation. And seeing, will you do that? If you do that, great. Now I need the next thing. Okay, I'll say something disrespectful. Will you say anything about it? No. 
okay, now I'll do something disrespectful. Oh, no. Okay, now, and then suddenly you've got physical abuse happening over here. So this is where it's really important for us to say something immediately. And the thing doesn't have to be a big deal. In fact, the less of a big deal it is, the better. It's just, yeah, look, I don't appreciate you saying that. So unless we can talk differently, I'm leaving. Just, it's just relatively simple. Actually, I don't agree with that. I respect that you and I have different opinion and let's agree to disagree on that. Just, but just practicing to do that. But in the end, the practice won't matter if we instinctually feel that we're not going to survive if we stand up for ourselves because there's a four-year-old running the system. Do you know what I mean? So we have to heal that four-year-old. We have to unmesh the programming so that it becomes easy for us to say things like that and it doesn't mean anything. It's just like water off a duck's back. So, yeah, that, this is where emotions are so important because the emotion is telling you this isn't right for you and you can just express that this isn't right for me and no one can argue with that they say oh why not blah 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 you don't say why you just go this isn't right for me some things aren't right for you this isn't right for me and just keep repeating those things every time the emotion comes up or I will need some time to think about this I'll talk to you tomorrow and giving a time frame then coming back. So all of those things become really important. But in the end, unless we heal the thing that caused our behavior in the first place, we have to do everything with willpower. And if we're doing everything with willpower, it's very tiring. And the moment you have a child and a bit of postpartum depression or the moment you're really exhausted, you don't have the energy for it. And that's why I'm so passionate about us healing the past because the investment in that time of healing means that we're not paying out every single time we need to say no. Yeah. For me personally, and I want to share this because I'm quite sure other women can relate to it. The healing bit for me is about needing usually a man's approval for whatever I'm doing. And being able to justify every action that I take, every decision that I make, everything I want to do has to be justified and authorised <laughs> by the <Yeah>. male. <laughs> That's the healing that I've recognised that I've got to do. Yeah. And so, Karen, how, does that relate at all to your dad? What was your dad like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally my... I married my dad, let's put it that way. <laughs> I've realised. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think this listening to the language that you're saying there, that does sound like dad, doesn't it? it? It sounds like I need that male approval, but it's I need dad's approval. I need permission to go out and I need to justify what I'm doing and where I'm going. Well, that sounds like dad. Do you know what I mean? So I think you're spot on. That becomes really important and of course dads especially our generation of dads yeah they didn't know what to do with your emotions and they didn't expect a girl to talk 
to them about their emotions either. So a lot of that looks like programming from dad. But at the same time, because I don't know about your dad, but often dads were absent. So they were at work for a long time. And when they came home, there was a sense of they shouldn't be bothered with stuff. They shouldn't be bothered with our petty little needs and wants and stuff like that. That was that generation of upbringing. So then that devalues all the things that a woman or a girl has the needs for emotions, connection, being, feeling like a princess or whatever. I know I'm talking traditionally, but there is a developmental phase for many girls, not all, some tomboys and and they're perfectly happy with that. But for many women, there's a developmental phase where they really need their dad to make them feel like a princess and make them feel special, um, beautiful, safe, adorable, all of those things. And, and the age is from about four to about nine, that developmental age then. And I know almost no women of our generation <laughs> who got that from their father, almost none. <laughs> and so that sense that it's okay to be feminine that it's okay to be adored and to feel safe and to have your needs met and to have your emotions soothed. It's a big missing part for many women. And then we want to get that from our partner, but we, it's so subconscious, the desire and feels a little immature as well. that We don't even know how to ask for it, but this is something that my husband and I have worked out because that's something I needed. I didn't get it from my dad. And I'm very fortunate that my husband is really happy for it. So I spend a lot of time sitting on my husband's lap. He spends a lot of time telling me that I'm beautiful and things like that, all the sorts of things that I needed. But the great thing is that this is good for him too, because when he was young, he felt very estranged from his mother and he felt that that she would be upset and never communicate why because she'd lost a baby before Will was born. She never got, she never healed from it. So she spent a lot of time crying and Will catch her and didn't know why and then she'd shoo him away. So the fact that I'll communicate what I need, <laughs> what I want, and he feels he can provide it makes him feel comfortable. And this is where I say sometimes relationships aren't about your shared values or your shared needs sometimes it's about your shared shadows are compatible <laughs> so <laughs> what he needs to heal is what i need to heal and they make, they connect with each other of course there's work that i've done emotional work but it's beautiful to feel soothed to feel soothed i think it's so underestimated and I think this is what women should do with each other is that soothing that understanding and that making it okay to have emotions to cry to feel I think that's really super important yeah but I think for many of us it's the woundings of our father and of our mother but not in counseling not just yeah I know that comes from dad but an actual deep emotional healing process is so important. And then 
we pick a totally different kind of man. And even if we pick a man who in another relationship was a particular way, they're not that way with us because we won't let them. We won't let them. Sometimes the will to talk about emotions, sometimes that was a really big deal. Sometimes we're having a fight, but we needed to be okay about having a fight to go, this is not just right for me. This is essential for you as well. This is what we both need. And to be okay with having an argument. Gottman in his research says, arguments are not what destroys couples. <laughs> In fact, couples can be destroyed by not having arguments because one person isn't willing to put forward their needs. But underpinning everything what you're saying is making our own needs as important as our partners because that to me is the missing, certainly it was for me, and I think it's the missing from what I can hear from what other women have shared with me, that it's always about their partner always about their partner and them meeting the partner's needs yeah. and the partner doing stuff but it doesn't necessarily meet the woman's needs and I think that's Absolutely. that ability to make our own needs as important as our partners that's the missing I think it is and a lot of women have said to me but Pip Self-love, people talk about it all the time, but what does it mean? Okay, so I won't be treated with badly or disrespect or whatever. But in many ways, what you're saying about getting your own needs met, but what are your needs? So in our work, we talk about the eight stars of self-love and they're similar to the chakras. It's a different tradition, but it, they're very similar. And so I get people to ask themselves eight questions and to rate those questions out of 10 and see how they're going. Because if you have all of these, or if you work on the ones that you're weakest at, you're much less likely to give up your needs for the other person because you're busy working on your own needs, you know. And like I said, it's much more complicated when there's kids involved as well. And I'm not underestimating how much there is to do for women and how big a deal it is. But in many ways, there's too much for us to do because we're too much in other people's business and we're not enough in looking after our own needs. Like a lot of my friends will say stuff like, and you even hear it on comedy programs, or even Michelle Obama said it. <laughs> Barack would go to the gym and she'd be like, you've got time to go to the gym. Oh, I wish I had time to go to the gym. You know, like, but the thing is, if we make time to go to the gym, then our partner has to do something with the children unless they're literally so irresponsible that they're not going to look after the children. I mean, then you shouldn't be married to the person. Do you know what I mean? But going on a weekend of personal development and your husband having to look after the kids for four days or going to yoga or doing whatever where the other person just has to. So when we prioritise our needs first, then stuff fits around it and then you don't even have to have a boundary because you've done the things that make you feel whole and happy and healthy. I've made it, like when this all started back in Jan December, January, I knew that the only way I was going to get through this was to take care of myself. I couldn't allow myself to yes. wallow in front of the telly. I had to eat well. I had to exercise. No. I had to do things that I enjoyed, and I had to make yes. that the priority. And 
that yes. has actually been my saving grace this year. That's why <laughs> that and my daughter it has. have what kept you know, me and all yeah. my friends, obviously. Yeah. And it's so wise because lots of people just throw themselves into work and then they're not looking after their personal health and being. It works great as well when it's good, but if you're using it to self-pacify and you're not getting your needs met. So I think that's really wise. So do you want me to say the eight things that we talk about in terms of self-love? How do you know? Yes, and, please you know, do that. Yeah. So basically these right. are eight questions you can ask yourself. And they do, they, they do sit with most of the chakras as well that people are used to. So the first question is, do you love yourself to follow your inspiration, to follow the things that light you up, to do the things that make you happy? Then do you love yourself enough to concentrate on what's important to you, to focus your time, your energy on doing what's important to you? then do you love yourself enough to receive what is right for you? Now, lots of people in personal development and spiritual courses talk about the throat chakra or the throat star as being expressing your truth. And absolutely having a voice and expressing your truth is really important. But your throat is also where you receive nourishment. And lots of people are speaking out or giving, or maybe they're not, but they're not receiving what they need. Do you love yourself enough to receive support from your friends, to receive support from your community, to receive support from a coach? Do you love yourself enough to receive what's good and right for you? Then in the heart, do you love yourself enough to open your heart to those who can love you back? Or do you only open your heart to those who are takers or those who can't love you back? So do you love yourself enough to be discerning about who you love? And then down in the solar plexus, do you love yourself enough to be empowered, to create boundaries, to say no when you want to? Then the belly button, the mid-star, do you love yourself enough to follow your intuition, to follow the promptings of your emotions and what they're saying to you and where they're leading you? And then the sacral chakra, do you love yourself enough to accept yourself as a sexual being and to engage in intimacy, whether that's self-pleasure or whether that's with someone else? And then the base, do you love yourself enough to take action towards what you really want? So those are the eight questions and the eight sections. And then you can go, oh, okay. I open my heart, but it's not to people who love me back. I open my heart to people who are like my dad or my mom, or I open my heart to, and maybe they did love you back, but not in the way that you want to be loved. <laughs> and that's the key. So you can start to judge and work on and analyze yourself and go, this is an area I need to work on. Or I've been so focused at work and taking action towards my goals. I, I'm not looking at what inspires me and what makes me happy. That's what some of the things that you've been doing. I think, Karen, you've definitely been looking at what does inspire me and what am I passionate about. And that's why you've been creating these podcasts. And then the beauty of that is what inspires you also helps lots of other people as well. And I think that's the beauty of doing what we're passionate about. And it takes a form of self-love to do that and to go for it. So I think these are all part of healing journey. I think that a relationship 
more than any other area of our lives brings up things that aren't healed inside of us, brings up challenges, brings up the places we don't feel like we're in control. And I think they become major invitations of where do we want to develop next? Okay, I've done a lot of work here, but something hasn't gone deep enough or hasn't gelled. I, for me personally, that's what relationships have definitely been in my past. And then even with my husband in what I feel is like an amazing relationship, it's still such a major place of growth. It's still the place moving up here to Townsville, away from my family, away from everything I would normally have. It's just Will and I. <laughs> it's suddenly... I'm wanting more things from him than I did at home because we're together sometimes in a studio apartment, <laughs> day in, day out, travelling, and then it's, oh, okay, here's another place for our relationship to grow and here's another place for me to dig deeper and see what else I need to work on and change or what do I need to communicate with him so that our relationship goes to a next level and what does he need to say to me. So yeah, I think that's that's it for today. So you've got a, a course coming up, a workshop, have you? Yeah, so we've got a one-day event. So in this one-day event, we talk a lot about some of the things that we've been talking about today, but we look at how the brain is organised and how it's functioned and why it is that we store some of those negative patterns and emotions and why they come out in relationships at work in other situations with kids and what we can do about it, what, what is the healing phases and how our instincts play into our emotions and how our emotions play into our beliefs and what we can do to heal those. So there's a whole section that I talk about in that and the day is completely free and it's completely obligation free as well. And we also talk about passion and purpose and how to find your real passion and purpose. So. We do that in the one-day event, so it's fun. I mean, of course, we talk about our longer programs as well, but it is an action-packed, information-fueled day with lots and lots of insights into what it means to be human in our modern world <laughs> and how we can become more functional and more effective and have more happiness. Is this the same workshop that you had a few months ago or is it a different one? Yeah, no, it's the same workshop that we had a few months. So we run it usually three times right. a year. Yeah, yeah. But we're only running one, and I'm not sure how often Great. I'll be running it in the same way. Yeah. Cause, and the reason I was asking is I was just going to say I did the last one, and it was amazing. I would highly recommend it. That was, that was the reason I was asking. Yeah, it was really good. Oh, good, good. I'm pleased. Yeah, we're, we're soon we're going to be talking about self-sabotage as well. We talk about that obviously in this program as well, but we're going to actually do an entire program specifically around that. So that'll be coming up as well. So I'll let you know about those too. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much, Pip. It's been amazing again. I can't believe we talked so long. <laughs> that was lovely. You're such a wonderful interviewer, so I could talk all day. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, 
head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.